theyeshiva.net. There's a story that uh, it's brought in quite a few svarim about the Balshamtiv. It's already in Shvachia Balshamtiv, and it's brought also in many. Uh, I saw it in other sources as well. There's a whole mimer from the Tzamach Tzadik, a Derech Mitzvah He brings the story as well and explains it. It's a long story, but I just want to say one point of the story. I don't remember all the details. The Baal Shem Tov had a brother-in-law. His name was Reb Gershon Kittiver. Reb Gershon Kittiver. And uh, Reb Gershon Kittiver's city... I saw it many years ago, so I can't tell you verbatim, but it had to do with something. There was a rav in his city, and there was something very inappropriate going on. And Reb Gershon Kittiver reacted to it. He said something, or he did something, and shul. The Baal wrote him a letter. His brother-in-law wrote him a letter. And... Uh, he wrote him a letter about the story, and he uh, he tried to enlighten him and explain to him that his behavior was inappropriate. He should have reacted differently and done it, I think, in a more pleasant way or a subtle way, a respectful way. He wrote him a letter. Reb Gershon Kittiver writes back a letter to the Baal that he doesn't understand. He got a letter from him. He looked at the date. It was the date that the letter, Bashamtiv wrote the letter, sent the letter. But it's before it happened. The story didn't happen then. The story happened later. He's getting a letter about a story. <laughs> the date he wrote the letter didn't happen. So the Bashamtiv wrote back to him a few words. That in the world of Yitzira, 15 years is like one day. 15 years is one day. Time slows down. So when you uh, look, when you operate from a higher perspective, what's 15 years, down the line, it's condensed. So therefore he wrote the letter when he wrote the letter. That's what he wrote back to So, it's just interesting to note from a, uh, a scientific point of view. I mean, if you would read the story, the Tzamach Tzedek brings the story in a sefer called Derech Mitzvah which was written uh, in his early life, uh, the late 1700s, early 1800s. Early 1800s. He was born in Tovkov Memtes, that's 1789. He wrote it as a youngster, well, 20, 30 years later. You would look at it, you would say, okay. We have a name for it, we'll call it Ruach HaKadosh. He didn't say Ruach HaKadosh, not what he said. He said that in the world of Yitzira, time is measured differently. But in terms of practicality, this was an unheard of phenomenon. Because time, as well as space, have been studied for thousands of years, particularly in the last few hundred years, 
as science began to be more aggressive and develop more. And one of the Yisoide HaYisoides, one of the fundamental foundations, as I mentioned yesterday or two days ago, is that time and space were absolute constants. They were equally, they were measured equally every person, every situation, and every realm, and every reality. It was an immutable, stubborn reality, right? Just like death and taxes. What do they say? Death and the IRS? That's all it is. No difference how you look, when you look, and you can have illusions and hallucinations, but in terms of reality, as far as humanity can understand, this was a constant reality, and it was just the definition and part of the texture and fabric of the universe. And this was uh, entrenched. Science was revolutionized in 1905, I think it was, by Professor Albert Einstein, living in Switzerland at the time, who presented his theory, it's called special relativity, and developed then over the subsequent years. It's hard to describe the impact of the revolution of this in terms of science and physics, but it changed, it transformed the landscape of physics till this very day. To the point that uh, all physics today and all science today, even if they're disagreeing, but they're disagreeing with Einstein. A number of years ago was the year 2000 and uh, Y2K. So Time Magazine had to choose a man of the century. They always have to choose a man of the year. So certainly have to choose a man of the century. So who would they choose? Who was the most important man from Time Magazine's perspective, the most influential person from 1900 till 2000? 20th century, who had the most influence? And the person they chose, interestingly, was a Jewish guy <laughs> by the name of Professor Albert Einstein. So I was curious what uh, motivated them to choose him. So I was reading their introduction to uh, why they chose. And they said they had a choice between two people. Adolf Hitler, Yamach Shemay, and Albert Einstein two most influential people of the 20th century from their perspective. And they decided instead of choosing the person who brought so much destruction, they'll choose the person who changed the world of science and physics. I was musing, even though they didn't write this, that the choice was between a Jew and somebody whose entire life was obsessed by Jews. I thought that was pretty interesting. But that was the choice. And I say this just to bring out that even though, you know, it's something of science and physics and doesn't seem to relate to most, many people's lives at least, but it had extraordinary ramifications. And one of the key chidushim, one of the key insights that Einstein came across, and this was an insight that he had, it was an epiphany. And a lot, a lot has been written about this, endless papers and articles and books and essays was, in one word, that both time and space are relative. It's 
That's why it's called the theory of relativity. And relative means literally that time changes. It changes. Which means in one space and in one dimension and in one uh, experience, time is moving in a certain direction. And that's true. It's not that you're fantasizing. And yet, in another context, time really changes. And he showed, he came across this because of paradoxes that science and physics was dealing with. And the key was that uh, generally, the speed of something, the velocity of something, the speed of something is defined motion, Newton taught that motion, something is moving, it's always defined vis-a-vis something else. And that's why, depending on your perspective, that's how fast something else is moving. Because what is speed? What does speed really mean? Speed means that you cover a certain amount of space in a particular amount of time. That's what speed, how do you define speed? <laughs> you sprint, yeah. You, you run for a mile, so you're covering a particular space, call it one mile, in a particular amount of time. And therefore, it changes from perspective. If I'm standing outside on the grass and a train is moving, and the train is traveling 50 miles per hour, I'm in one place, and the train is traveling 50 miles per hour. And if, as the train comes, I drop the ball, right? That ball drops and the train is gone. But if I'm in the train and I drop the ball, (laughs) the ball stays right in front in the same speed of the train because I'm inside the train and the train is considered still and it looks like the grass is moving. (laughs) I'm moving away from the grass. You know, when you're traveling on a landscape, you look out the window, you feel that you're still because you're in the same place in the train and the train is moving and it looks like the earth is, is, is moving, the grass is moving, the landscape is moving or if you're in a boat in the water, that was the original experiment. And if you're traveling on another train parallel to this train, and this train is going 40 miles per hour and you're going 20 miles per hour, so from your perspective, the train in front of you is going 20 miles per hour. Because 20 miles per hour, you're also traveling. And if you're traveling in the other direction, 20 miles per hour, so the train is going 70 miles per hour because you're traveling away. That's how it was understood. And suddenly with light... That didn't exist. Light is 186,000 miles, right, per second. Almost 700 million miles per hour, 677 or something. Almost 700 million miles per hour. And it wasn't changing. No matter your motion, yeah, this was the big paradox. It wasn't changing. So, So Einstein had an epiphany for the first time to have an insight, and that is that actually the time changes. Time itself is relative. What we call time is not absolute. And when you're traveling close to the speed of light, time slows down. Which means, and it's going to sound funny, two children are born on the same day. But there's a difference. One of them grows up here on earth in your loving and nurturing home in Muncie. And all is beautiful. The other one, right after birth, was put into a spaceship (laughs) and flew away and is traveling almost the speed of light. 
50 years later, one boy is 50 years old. He's almost ready to retire. And the other boy is one day old. <laughs> the other boy is one day old. The cook stuff, yeah? Okay. <laughs> He's one day old. It's the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Ki elif shanam mesma. It's not an exaggeration. And this is purely from, uh, we're talking here pure science and physics. No, no superstition, no hallucinations with experiments after experiments after experiments after experiments. And I don't know if you know, but everyone here uses ways and GPS. And I don't know if you know that GPS would not function without this. You know that. Because the satellite, this is fascinating, I once read this, that the satellites of NASA, or all satellites, which are much further away, much further away from the surface of the Earth, have to consider the fact that time is slower. And because of that, they make adjustments. And if not for those adjustments, this our GPSs wouldn't work, they would be off. Ah, <laughs> huh? okay. So very better and better. Yeah. Now, very often and very often, yeah. But the fa- the fast the faster you're traveling, basically, time slows down. And he even gave a fascinating hasbara for this. This is even more, f- I don't know, equally fascinating. And that is because we distinguish between time and space, and really they're indistinguishable. Space-time is one reality, and therefore, if you're in one place, if you're in one station, you're not moving through space. So therefore, the intensity of time is more powerful, and the time goes faster, but if it goes faster. But if you're traveling through space, and the faster you're going through space, that eats up from the dimension of time, and therefore, time slows down. Just like if I'm driving my bike and I'm going east. So I'm going to be traveling in a certain, a certain, a certain swiftness east. Let's say 50 miles per hour. But then if I go uh, northeast this way. So it's going to compromise how fast I'm going towards east. Why? Because north is getting part of my, uh, part of my attention, part of my speed, part of my energy. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going as fast east because I'm going this way. I'm still going east. I'm still getting further than I was before east. But north did some hasagas gvul. North snatched away some of that energy. So he says space snatched away some of that energy of time and therefore you're going much slower. And if you're going in the speed of light, the clock, st- the clock stops. Time doesn't move. That's why I said the boy traveled, the baby traveled almost the speed of light. So at least he's a day old. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you got. I don't know. I, I don't know. I never saw that baby. I never saw that baby. Huh? I never saw that baby. So space changes and time changes. It's relative. But that, that, that's true. That space is relative. It's still relative. It's still relative. Yeah. 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 There's even a, a physicist I once, uh, I read, I heard, he once said that, uh, very interesting thing. 
which, uh, I don't know, it resonated with me. He said, does anybody wonder why in the last 50 years we discovered things that we did not discover 5,000 years? What happened? What happened? So how does it happen that now, within three weeks, they're discovering things they didn't discover in a 1,000 years? Every year, every year, the world changes. In 20 years, nobody even know what we're, nobody knows what we're going to look like. I don't know if we're going to be a robot giving the shear, huh? Artificial intelligence, huh? So he says, fascinatingly, I, I, I can't verify about the authenticity of this. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a cosmologist. I just marvel at it, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have the authority to be able to even give an opinion about this, but he says, that since the Big Bang, yeah, the cosmos, the world is accelerating and expanding. So the speed that the universe is operating in is extraordinary high. So therefore, time slowed down. So what took 5,000 years could take 50 years, because 50 years is 1,000 years, is 5,000 years. So what it took 5,000 years takes 50 years, because it's 5,000 years because of the acceleration of the cosmos, of the universe. Huh? It's it's quite, huh? You hear? In other words, the speed is so powerful that time is, is experienced differently. Even though we wouldn't know this, because in our intuition, we're just all part of it. And that's even here on Earth, where we're not functioning on the speed of light. Right, so there's, Zohar, there's a Zohar that says that in the year Tafresh, 1840, Right? Vishnas Sheish Meyes Shona Lechaye Noyach Niftuchu Kol Mayonois Hashem. What's the lesson? Arubas Hashemayim Niftuchu and Kol Mayonis Tohem Raba. The six hundred year of the life of Noyach, all the wellsprings opened up and the windows of heaven opened up and the the rain began pouring. So he says, Vishnas Sheish Meyes Shona Lechaye Noyach is in the sixth millennium. In the sixth hundred year, which would be Hey Alafim Tafresh, is the sixth millennium in the six hundred year Tafresh, right? Five thousand six hundred. Now we're five seven seven nine, a hundred and seventy years ago, hundred and seventy nine years ago, in the year five six hundred, which comes out in the secular calendar too. Tafresh would be eighteen forty. So Niftechu Mayanis Tahim Rabba. All the wellsprings of wisdom will emerge, a lot of wellsprings of wisdom, both heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Both, in other words, scientific wisdom will explode, and also it will be parallel to spiritual wisdom that will emerge. And this is a preparation for the seventh millennium, because this is, this is 5,600, so it's 400 years before 6,000, right? Which is the beginning of the seventh millennium, which is Yom Shikulei Shabbos of That's what you're referring to. Tafresh. Indeed, indeed, the industrial revolution and a tremendous amount of scientific progress began approximately in the year 1840 and it continues to accelerate. I mean, but already mid 1800 was so many powerful developments. If you talk about, you know, trains and then ultimately cars and planes, or if you talk about electricity and industrial revolutions and all types of scientific discoveries from photos to telegrams to telegraphs, 
machinery, which literally changed the face, uh, the face of the world to the point that in the early 1900s, there were those who said that there's nothing left to be discovered. <laughs> there's nothing left. In other words, the revolutions were so powerful. What else? There can't be anything. This is the early 1900s. Today we're already smarter. We know not to say such things. But, uh, it's loved Africa disconnected. It could be all part of one mahalach. I say this because if you learn this mimer here that we're learning, and you just read his oisius, yeah, almost verbatim, the Balatanya says here, not almost, he says literally, that on one level, zman is expanded, and on another level, it's contracted. He even gives the example of the human heart. The human heart ex- expands, and then a moment later, it contracts, and then it expands and contracts. And he says that's the source of Zman, Ratzoy and Shaif. And on every level, every level that the world evolves, or I should say devolves, that Zman becomes more expanded. And when you go back upward, you trace it back to its source, Zman, time, contracts. And when we say contracts, it means that... In one world, this would be a huge amount of time. We would call it, say, a thousand years. And in another world, in another realm, that very span of time is defined as one day. You basically lived one day. How can that be? It's anything but absolute. And he even gives the metaphor of the human experience. And that is that what may take me to speak two hours... In my thought process, before I spoke, I just saw it all. But if you would ask me to say it, I can't say it in a split second. I can't say it in three seconds or in two seconds. It takes me two hours. But those two seconds had within them condensed the entire speech. That's the muscle that he gives, right? And then when it has to come down in a concrete world, I have to verbalize it and articulate it. I can't do it in a second. That second must be expanded into two hours. And then I could break down and bring out what happened in that second in my heart and my mind, even though it was all there. It's not that I was fooling myself. I didn't really have the whole picture. I had exactly the whole picture. I knew everything. It's all there. Vaharaya, I could say it based on it. But the process of uh, the process of descending to another realm requires a different a different uh, measurement of time. That's the motion. And he says, and therefore, the deeper you go to a place of elikus to discover the godliness of the world, the less time, more the more time becomes condensed to the point where there's no hischalkos, there's no divisibility. Or of our hoivan asid, the past, present, and the future are, so to speak, cr- crunched into one indivisible, cohesive entity. Even though in a r- lower realm, there's what they call, they like calling the arrow of time. You know, there's the arrow of time. Linear time. Huh? Linear time, yeah. I'm not saying that the world of Yitzhira has physical properties. I'm just using the story to say, to bring out what the Baal Shem Tov said. Right? That 
when we speak about the world of Yitzhira, the world of Yitzhira is not a world that lives in some other realm. The world of Yitzhira is basically, as we speak, spoke many times, it's just different glasses. It's different lenses through which you see the same world. The world of Bria is higher lenses. The world of Atzillus is higher lenses. There's an expression they use, microscopic eyes, right? If I would have had microscopic eyes, what would I see? I would see a different world, yeah? I don't have microscopic eyes. I have my eyes. We know what our eyes, most of our eyes perceive. Yitzira is different eyes. It's different lenses. It's sensitive to realms of reality that our physical retina will not observe from the light waves, if you want to put it that way. My retina cannot observe it. And therefore, I will interpret the world in a certain way, which is true. It's not... It's not a lie. That's what we call the world of Asiya. That's the, it's the real world. Asiya Hagashmi. But in Asiya itself, there's layers and layers and layers, because microscopes are also part of Asiya. But then there's the realm of Yitzira. So the Balshamtiv was just saying, right, which this Maimir is explaining, that in, as, in that higher realm, what do we mean a higher? Higher doesn't mean I get into a spaceship and I go higher, even though actually that metaphor would not be inappropriate here. Because when you're traveling in such speed, time really does slow down. But what I mean higher is when you get deeper into the core, the spiritual core of the universe, the flux of time shrinks, it's condensed. Just like when you go from Dibur to Machshava, the two hours becomes one minute or less than one minute, becomes one second. I think, I think that's, that's, I think that's mamish consistent with the Gemara and Chagiga. You mean Daf Yud Gimel, uh, the Raglayim, the Karnayim, etc., etc. Yes. Being called Rakia Virakia, Mahalach Tafkov Shana. The journey of 500 years, yeah. Yeah. Which touches now upon another reality, which is uh, also pretty, uh, I don't want to say spooky, but pretty interesting. And that is <laughs> that... Uh, a lot of physicists are arguing, and this seems to be true stuff from a scientific point of view, that from a physics perspective, the arrow of time that we speak about is really not as uh, entrenched in reality as we perceive it instinctively to be. Meaning, we all know there's a difference between space and time. I'm right now in shul, I, I will leave later, or I could leave later, but if I got, if, if I, I forgot my keys here, I'm going to come back. Yet, I could have been last week in Eretz Yisrael, I come back to America, but I can go back. That's what space is. You left a space, but that first space is there, and you go back. What about time? Time, it's inconceivable. Let's go back. Uh, oh, I like when I was 10 years old. Let me go back. Uh, sorry. Maybe if you'll sit by the therapist for 10 years, you'll go back to your traumas. You're not even going back. That's all instinctive. That They call it the arrow of time. Time is linear. What was, was, and it will never be. Ha'avar, ayin, right? Ha'asid, ha'dayin, ha'hivikaref, ayin, daigam, and ayin. Past was, the future is not, the present is... Azai, why do you have anxiety? Makes sense, yeah? <laughs> Gewaldig, what else do you have to hear? 
as they put it, there's no law in physics that agrees with this. The way physics looks at time is like space. And basically, imagine you're looking at uh, many loaves of bread, and they fill the entire space of the universe, and that combines all the time and all the space. Just imagine, theoretically, you have loaves, I'm, I'm using loaves of bread, whatever. You want to use a river, maybe is a better example. And it fills all the space of the cosmos that there is, just imagine, as a hypothesis. And it also, every slice of it is is time. And you can go from the beginning, what they would call the Big Bang, we'd call Sheshis Mebereshis, all the way till Atzaif Kalhadiris. And at any point, if you want, you can go back to when you went into pre-1A, the day you went into pre-1A. You can say, oh, I want to go there. And then you can go back to your grandmother's life when she was 10 years old. Huh? That would be neat, huh? And then you can go to your great, 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 great grandfather's life when he was 60 years old. Just like you go back in space, you go back in time. So we look at this and we say, (laughs) it's all very nice, but this doesn't exist. The fascinating thing is that from a physics point of view, this is really the reality. It's just somehow in our perception, we have no access to that. Our instinctive experience of time is one, that there is a past that's gone, there is a present that is pretty intangible, and there's a future that's unknown. But in the reality of physics... And as knowledge and experience expands and the kalim expand, of our hoivan osid are not detached realities. Just like you say it with space. And here again, what are we learning here? That when you go to a, a deeper place, a higher place, the way the Balatanya puts it, that mekoir hachayis, so this is about it being so condensed that it becomes mamish like like one entity. As he says, So it becomes condensed. And what's a very long span of time becomes a rega echot. That also includes this fascinating idea that of our hoiva and us are not just three separate realms and there's the arrow of time, but there's really a cohesive entity that are all relatable and connected to each other. Now, why is this all relevant? Why is the Balatanya talking about this? So you started off with the Ratzai Vashayv, that concept of Ratzai Vashayv. <laughs> that I think has to be addressed for a moment, how that became the cause of Zman, and why the experience of time is so different than the experience of space, of Makkam. What is Ratzai Vashayv? What does Ratzai Vashayv mean? So we explained Ratzai means yearning or running or going out of yourself. It's a form of tension. And Shayv is... Returning, retreating. Probably two of the better terms for it is tension and resolution. Discontentment, which creates tension, frustration, even in a very positive sense. And shuv, which is acceptance, complacency, 
which yet feeds another Ratsui, which feeds another Shuv, which feeds another Ratsui, which feeds another Shuv. And the cycle goes on. And the Balatani claims that's the origin of time in the divine. And the way it translates into every world is the way that world experiences Ratsui and Shuv. The way it translates into our world is the clock, the Zegar. So when you're looking at the clock, or when you're looking at sunrise and sunset, which that's what the clock used to be, right? The sundials was based on the the experience of the sun's orbit. Today we have the clock. Today we even have atomic clocks. We have atomic clocks. And by the way, by the way, it was through the atomic clocks, I think in the 1970s, that they proved Einstein right. Huh? Because they sent different clocks on different journeys, and the clocks moved in different ways. One clock was moving slower than another clock, which proved, you couldn't get a better proof that Einstein was right. It was like, as Meshuggah as it sounded, one clock was moving slower than another clock. Huh? The Mainstich macht You think I have nothing better to do than 7.30 in the morning to, to, to sell you mice? Huh? <laughs> He's looking at me as <laughs> I'm not getting a Nobel Prize for this, don't worry. I'm not, uh, I have no agenda here. Uh, but this is very, very important. Because what the Balatanya is going to be mechadash here, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to ruin the fun, but what they call a sneak preview is, when it says tshuva kadma la'olam, tshuva precedes the world, which, as we said, should not make sense because the definition of tshuva is it's a product of mistakes. That's what tshuva means. Tshuva means I sinned. Tshuva is a product of which comes from the world. If I preceded the world, I don't have to do tshuva. <laughs> the reason I'm doing tshuva is because I'm in the world, not because I precede the world. You could say once we're in the world, God says, don't worry, there's tshuva, I got that. Palatanya is going to reveal what it really means is that Shuva, in its ultimate sense, is the Jewish mechanism to reach that space where time slows down. And even deeper, that space where past, present, and future become condensed into a seminal point. And even deeper to a space that transcends the realm of time. Which is why tshuva redefines the past. How can you redefine your past? You can redefine your past only if you have the ability to go back to when you were 10 years old. How do I go back to when I was 10 years old? How do I go back to the moment I made a mistake? That's the power of tshuva. So the incredible idea is that he's using here the Medrash, Tshuva Kadma La'olam, to define Tshuva as the process through which time doesn't exist as an arrow. Linear, linear means time goes this way, and I'm somewhere in the journey, and that's it. <laughs> right? What happened, happened. It's gone, finished, finita. And now it's just the future and the present. At best, I can deal with the present and the future. I can regret the past. That's not what Tshuva is. Tshuva in the ultimate sense is going to a place where time is redefined. And if time is redefined, I can go back in time 
and redefine what happened when I was 10, what happened when I was 20, what I did when I was 30, and what happened to me when I was 8 years old. How can Shuva do that? How? That's what Shuva is. So Shuva has very little to do with what he said before, the Balavera, you know, the grub guy, the, the, the brute man who has to do Shuva. Yeah, he has to do Shuva, of course. But that's not the essence of Shuva. Shuva is one of the most important components that precedes the whole world. Shuva is that moment when you redefine time. And if you redefine time, you redefine everything. So we say, this is what happened to me 20 years ago. This is what happened to me when I was 4. This is what happened to me when I was 18. This is what I did when I was 23. It's irreversible. I was an idiot. I was a moron. I destroyed my life. And you know what? You're right. (laughs) You destroyed your life. But what does Hashavah Saveda mean? Hashavah Saveda means the thing was lost from this space, but it's in another space. Go to the other space. But we don't look at time that way. Time is lost. It's lost forever. It's lost forever. Wait, wait, wait. For this, you have to know how time works. Time is lost forever if you don't know what time is. If you can go to another realm, that's what real tshuva means. Time is completely different. Yes. What's the connection to Ratzay Vashav? You, 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 you understand what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say this, when I saw this the first time, he starts with Shuvah Kadma Loyal, he goes through Zman, and then he finishes, I, my breath was taken away for a moment. It's like, wow. That's the Shuvah Kadma Loyalam. It goes to a place that transcends the tyranny of the arrow of time. So all those rules fall apart. And in the world of physics, they will say, if you can just go into another dimension, all of the rules that govern time from our perspective are completely irrelevant. So even Kadma is not Kadma part. Right. Kadma in concept to the definitions of Eilam. Because we live in the world of Eilam. We're supposed to live in the world of Eilam. There's something in Allah called Mu'uvas Layuchaliskaim, a mistake that you can't fix. The Gemara says in Brachas, Zesha Bittel. You remember Zesha Bittel? You still remember the speeches from Yeshiva, huh? And then comes Tshuva, and Tshuva says, you could fix. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you playing games with me? Balatanya says, you have to know how time works. When you live in the world of time, you can't fix. The Chiddush and revolution of Tshuva is, it redefines time. And because it redefines time, huh? <laughs> you say they say this nachda fuftzin yar. It's nachda fuftzin yar. Now this doesn't mean everyone should just start making mistakes and then tomorrow you'll go back in time. That's not the point. The echt of a ashuv model doesn't work. The point is that's the kayachatshuv. Now where does this connect to ratzay v'shayiv? which is the source of all of this, what does Ratzai V'shoif mean in terms of divine energy? Why is the Chayis Ratzai V'shoif? What is it? Why is the Chayis Ratzai V'shoif? I understand Ratzai V'shoif in a person's life. I have ambitions. I'm frustrated. 
I want to be more successful. I want to make more money. I want to be more influential. Whether it's healthy reasons or unhealthy reasons, I'm not, we're not doing the psychoanalysis here today. We're into physics. <laughs> we're not talking about marriage. We're not talking about shalom bias. We're not talking about therapy. We're talking about light and space and, and, ta- and time. <laughs> But as you know, it's all one thing, huh? If one, if one day is 15 years, if one day is a thousand years. For the Alter Rebbe, tshuva is not just, tshuva is not just you do tshuva. Of course tshuva is you do tshuva. Tshuva is an existential shift in the core of existence which allows a person to operate in a different dimension of reality. That's what it is. Right. So why do we say, yeah. We understand it in a person. That's what makes us tick. It certainly makes the heart tick, and without that one can't live. We call it the heartbeat of life, as discussed yesterday and the day before. And we have it even in all, in all aspects of our life, right? A healthy person has ambition. The moment you stop having ambition is nishkin gotazach. The moment you're happy to stay in bed 24 hours a day, there's something missing. We call it depression. There's an ambition. There's a drive. However intense that drive is, but the drive, the drive means get out of bed, go do something. What do they say? What do you tell your teenagers? Go do something with your life, right? <laughs> Go do something with your life. On the other hand, if you only have ambition, we call it workaholics, you don't stop. 24 hours a day, you don't stop until you collapse from exhaustion. Shaiv is the ability to accept. In many ways, it's the six days of the week. And Shabbos, what is Shabbos? Shabbos don't create anything. Just celebrate. Breathe in. <laughs> Take it in. The world stops. Shavas. Hashem himself stops, so to speak. He inhales, takes it all back. Vayinafash. Right? That, that, that polarity, that paradox is inherent to existence. We call it the heartbeat of life. Tfiku deliba, the heartbeat of the heart. What is it in the source, in the chius, in Hashem, in Ratzivashov? What is it over there? What it is over there, Balatanya explains in different Maimarim, Is the Nakuda is this. The point is this. I'm gonna to try to summarize. I'm just looking for those who try to summarize it very concisely. Because I don't know yet how to slow down time. Despite everything. Just some example. If you send a, uh, every country has diplomats, ambassadors that it sends to other countries to represent it. When you're going to the other country, you have to know the language. You have to know the culture. You have to understand the environment. If not, you won't be able to be successful. You have to integrate somewhat with the other country because you're trying to represent your country in that country. You have to live there. <laughs> you have to visit its leaders. You have to become acquainted with the people 
and the zeitgeist of that particular country. You're even going to raise your children there on foreign territory. But on your home or your office, you're going to have a flag of your country. Why are you going to have a flag of your country? Because if you completely become integrated, if you love it too much, you're not an ambassador anymore. You now become part of the problem, not the part of the solution. Especially if it's two countries that are hostile to each other. So you're there on a mission. You're there on a shlichus. But the moment you forget that, the moment you become so comfortable, you're not an ambassador anymore. You become, you could become swallowed up. Imagine a spy. Imagine Eli Cohen. Hashem Yinkam Dami is sent to Syria and he loves it so much. He's like, ooh, <laughs> I like these guys. On one hand, you have to become a Syrian because if you're not, you can't do your job. This is even more dramatic than an ambassador. But that concept, you understand. You have to integrate fully. As one Jewish comedian says about Jews when they come to a country, they out-Gentile the Gentiles, yeah? They become more Gentile than the Gentiles because they really want to fit in. I'll be better than you. <laughs> I'll be a better guy than you know how to be because I'm doing it with the ganze kach, with the ganze seichel. Yeah. I am a sir. I am a sir. Cause, cause it's a choice. It's with passion. And you're not going to know anything about me that's going to give it up more than anybody else. Because there's such a complex. Right? We know about uh, Jewish assimilation, exactly how it works. Or as uh, one Jewish comedian, I think it was Gritcho Marx, said, I would never, I would never join a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> it's too Jewish. <laughs> if you accept Jews, and blacks and dogs, I would not join this club. Sorry. I need a club that you would not uh, have me as a member. So on one hand, you want to integrate because you're the ambassador or you're the spy. And you have to become completely, completely fused with the environment. On the other hand, at night, in the secret of your own bedroom, you yearn to go back home. Right? And your pillow is wet from tears. Why did I have to end up in this Meshuggah place? Nobody will know this in the morning. You'll wipe your tears and you'll become part of it. My brother once told me he met a Yid who uh, who used to be a Chabad Chassid. He was very close to the Rebbe, a very talented person. And then he left Yiddishkeit in the early years. He went into Buddhism, very talented person. And he... Uh, he, you know, he, he went on his own journey. So he once met my brother somewhere. So he says, by the way, there's no difference between you and me. But every movement needs spies. <laughs> every movement needs spies. And this, when you look at the spy, he looks like he's alienated from you. Because he could never show that he has any allegiance to you. But really, deep down, I'm a spy. <laughs> I'm a spy. You should just know that. So my brother told him, if at night by if at night you would cry a little bit, but you seem so happy in your position as a spy. You seem a little too happy, too content. This is a very subtle paradox. To be fully within 
and yet also above. Yeah, the Mayor Primashlana once said, as Mitsugabun and Aiden Faltmanishtunten. He would go to the mikveh in the morning and he would go up a slope and down a slope and in the winter nobody can go there because it was icy. So Hevra would make fun of him. They would make fun of him and they did it and they, they hurt themselves. So somebody said, how do you do it? So he said, as mit sugebun and oibun faltmen ishtunten, meirel is sugebun and oibun faltmen ishtunten. If you're tied, if you're connected on high, above, you don't fall below. But on the other hand, if you remain above, then you can't impact the below. I have to integrate, and integrate means I integrate on your terms. The Gemara says about Mitzia, Halach Lakarta, Azal bin Musa. You come to a city, you have to follow the rules. That's why the Malachim ate Bavramavinu. I can't say, sorry, I don't do it this way. You, you, you will never be able to impact the environment. If I don't want to speak your language, I don't want to connect to people, it's uh, not going to work. The Kotsky Rebbe once said, the Gemara says in Erevin that when Shlema Melech gave us two mitzvahs, Natilis Yadayim and Erevin. Washing hands before bread for Truma. And Erevin is to make an Erev Chatzeris. So it says in the Moran Erevin, Chavbez, that when he made these mitzvahs, a baskel came out and said, Im Chacham Bni Yisamach Libi Gam Oni. My child is so brilliant. I'm so happy. You know, when a father says, Ah, give a cook. What a kid. What a son I have. That's what Hashem says about Shlomo. So the Kotzke Rebbe said, why do these two mitzvahs represent such chachma? Washing your hands and Erevin. And he said, because there's two types of people. There are people of Natilis Yadayim and there are people of Erevin. What does Natilis Yadayim represent? What we call in Yiddish, Reinehent. Pure hands. Your hands are pure. No embezzlement, no deception. Your hands don't touch that which don't, which doesn't, don't belong to it. Reinehent means on every level, you're ethical, you're moral. <laughs> and once when I was a kid, so a very, very prominent woman, very prominent Jewish secular woman came to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So she stretched out her hand. <laughs> in this most beautiful childlike language, he says, when I was a child, my mother taught me not to touch things that don't belong to me. <laughs> When I was a child, my mother taught me not to touch things that don't belong to me. Natilus Yadayim, your hands are pure. What's Erevin? The word Erevin means mixing. Why do we make an Erev? We make an Erev so that we should be able to eat together and hang out together and play together. Erevin, he says, there's many people who mastered the art of Natilus Yadayim, but they didn't master the art of Erevin. And there's many people who are great at Erevin, <laughs> But they didn't master Natilis Yadayim because the two are very different. Natilis Yadayim demands a certain segregation. Erevin is, you know, the social butterfly, the, <laughs> the party animal, the integrated individual. You love people. And when you love people, you schmooze with people. And when you schmooze with people, you know, you could get in the was, he was Masaka and Erevin and Natilis Yadayim. So now let's bring it home. When the divine energy, okay, needs to create a world, a paradox is created. What's the paradox? Paradox is everything comes from Hashem. It's infinite. It's pure infinity. 
But if that, we spoke in many my Maryam, if that infinity would be present, what would the world look like? <laughs> the world would be infinite. There would be no avar, no hoiva, no asad. As we say, if the doors of perception are cleansed, everything would appear as is infinite. So therefore the chiyus must go through a tremendous filtering process. Contraction after contraction after contraction to be able to become tailor-made to the structure and the chemistry of the universe, every universe according to its capacity. The question is, here's the question, can the energy settle into its position? You understand? Does the chiyus of Hashem settle into its position and say, okay, all is good. What happens if that would happen? The moment that happens, its lifeline gets interrupted and it can't do its function. So there is an ongoing dual experience, so to speak, within the divine energy. What is it? Ratzoi and Shaif. Ratzoy says, this is not my place. This is not my place. This is not true. <laughs> it protests everything about what it's doing. It's not true. This is based on cover-ups and more cover-ups and more cover-ups and even more cover-ups. But if that's what it feels, what happens? That nothing is real, so it runs away. I'm going back to my country. Have a good day. And what happens to the world? Ayin ve'efes mamash. So God says, no, 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 no. You go back, you little boy. You go back, you nice boy. Shuv. What's shuv? Shuv is, this is exactly where I have to be. This is the best place to be. The moment it feels it's the best place to be, what happens? It's detached from the source of pure infinity. So can't even create a world. So now it's, this is not the place to be. Ratzai. <laughs> it yearns to go up. It yearns to be an estalic. But that delegitimizes the world. So what happens now? Shuv. All tension in life is based on this duality. Do I belong here or do I not belong here? Am I real or am I not real? <laughs> is life real or is life not real? Ratzai says... There's something so much more that you're not grasping onto. That's the root of all frustration. It's the root of all um, yearning to go to a different place. On the other hand, it's exactly where you're supposed to be. It's the best place. That's the shuv feeling. It's rooted all the way in the essence of energy. Now you see how this is the origin of time? What, 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 what does time look like? Why is this the origin of time? What is Ratzai V'shoif? Ratzai is the feeling that where I am is illegitimate. I don't belong here. This is, this is a false place to be. It's like that spy who's crying. I don't want to be here. I'm not interested. This is a, this is a crazy place. Get me out of here. Of course, it's a much more subtle marshal. I'm just uh, trying to give a marshal. I don't have a better marshal, so I'm using a marshal of, of a spy. On the other hand, Shuv says, no, 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 this is the place. Because if you don't believe that this is the place, you're not going to have an impact. <laughs> the purpose is that God wanted a world the way the world is. I want you. I don't want infinity just for infinity. I want you. 
I want this world. That's Shuv. So Ratzoi delegitimizes. Shuv legitimizes. That's exactly what time is. <laughs> Zman, the way we grasp it with our physical senses, is the brute manifestation of the spirituality of Ratzoi and Shaif. What is time? What's our experience of time? It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. There was a professor who once said, who is the greatest teacher who kills all of his students? There's no teacher like him in the world. No one teaches as effectively as him. But he murders every one of his students. Anybody knows the answer? Time. <laughs> There's no teacher like time, right? Nothing teaches you about life like time. Experience, time. You could be a 20-year-old genius, but if you don't go through life, you just don't have that wisdom. The challenge with time is it kills everybody. In other words, what's time's message? On one hand, we all live in time. Time is what gives us context. And time also delegitimizes everything. It's like, I want to hold on to the age of 20. Sorry. Next, next, next. I want to hold on to something. No, 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 no. Already right now, I can't hold on to this moment. Next. You know, sometimes you're sitting at a special moment in your family. You just want to hold on to it. And you know, in two hours, everybody is leaving. And it's a very sad, like, why can't we hold on? So we take pictures. Eichmer. Pictures, pictures, pictures. You don't want to hold on? You don't want to leave? There's nothing to do. It's almost like a a sadistic... Huh? Yeah, it's like this, this brutality of time. Stop! It, it, it kills everything. But it also gives everything. It gives everything. We live in time. What is the Nikuda in the source? It's Ratzay and Shaif. Ratzay and Shaif is, everything is as real as it gets, Mitzat Shaif, and Mitzat Ratzay, its realness is questioned. Where does this tension exist? Only when you distance yourself from the source. When you go back to the source, Ratzay and Shaif are not a paradox anymore. The spy, the ambassador, left the source, this tension. In the source, Ratzay and Shaiva, not a paradox. That's Yom Shekuloi Shabbos Umenucha. What's Kuloi Shabbos Umenucha? How could it be Yom Shekuloi Shabbos Umenucha? In the source, what we call Kadmala Oilam, Ratzay and Shaiv become one. So past and future also become one. Okay, I think enough for today. So we'll soon learn about it. In the Miami, he's going to speak about Dira B'tachtayin and what it means. Also, just to clarify, the Ratzo and Abishov and the Roshov is synchronous with ours. Our Ratzo is when we're close, and his Ratzo is Same thing. It's when he's yearning to go back. Yeah, the Chiyos doesn't want to be in a state of tzimtzum. That's the rutzah. That's the rutzah. The energy of the electrons escaping the atom. The energy of the electrons that want to escape. 
and something is pulling them back and saying, no, 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 you got to stick to the orbit, which we call today gravitational force. That's shuv, literally. Come back. The fire, huh? Yeah. Absolute zero is not achievable. Where movement ceases, so it's not achievable. Yeah. It's the flux. The flux. The heartbeat. That's the heartbeat. The heart says, I want to relax. <laughs> Why should I take my blood <laughs> and be concerned with the toe? Because that's what you do. Huh? There's no run so anymore there. That's it's over. Right. So it's interesting. I, I gave you many months ago the fictional love on the road to the sober. When he spoke at Rutgers one year, I gave you an essay. The sober Adam and Kolu. Oh yeah, yeah. The man of conquest, the man who wants to be everywhere, versus the man of Nachla, you know, where the man who's it really is interesting that at some level what he's saying is parallel. Yeah. I've often wondered when I read something from the Sapphic stuff whether his Chabad educational roots really informed the way he kind of his, uh, his development. It's very possible. It's very possible. What, what, what is on book fast I'm going faster than what? What's the question? I'm going much quicker when you're older. As you get more and more. I told them, it says by Yaakov Avinu. Right, he worked seven years for Rachel. He loved her so much. Seven years were only a few days. So over there, obviously, it's usually translated as just an emotional thing, you know, when you're... When you're in love with somebody, so seven years is a few days. I guess when you're not in love with somebody, you know, three days can be seven years, right? <laughs> it's just an emotional. But, but it's, it may be much more than an emotion. <laughs> it's not just, not just your own subjective perception, which has nothing to do with reality. Yeah, obviously on one level, it was seven years. The title says it was seven years. It was not a few days. But the way we're experiencing it emotionally, you see the Alter Rebbe gives the marshal of a person who has a speech in a second and then it takes two hours to say that in different realms, Zman takes on different shapes. When you love something... To get older, it's just the opposite. It's like you're so used to everything. Nothing's new for you. It's wise life. So nothing is... When the younger the experience is something new. Right. Okay. Yes. They sent out atomic clocks. Different flights, different journeys, different speeds. They saw that the clocks were different. It's unbelievable. Time was pushed. It's hard for us to imagine. What do you mean go slower? It's time, right? But it's not the case. <laughs> it's not the case. It's really not true. This was Einstein's achidish. It says in Lakuta but it's officially Einstein's achidish. Time literally goes slower. 
I'm saying, yeah, a man is 50 years old, yeah, another person born on the same day, he's one day old. What do you mean he's one day old? It's 50 years past. No, 50 years didn't pass. One day passed. What do you mean one day passed? Well, you're joking? It's 50 years. The sun went around and around and around and around. A day, a day, a day, a day, a day, a year, a year, a year. It's a mukim. It's not Pasha. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.